Disclaimer. Please do not email us about the historical inaccuracies we are sure to make. We are not historians. We are idiots. Anachronismo. I'm Jackie. I'm Max. I'm Noel. Uh, and this week we'll be talking about Robert Fortune, who stole tea from China for the East India Trading Company, the Greek Island Project, and the Dreadnought Hoax. Did that involve getting people to dread something? Nope. Not a chance. <laughs> Delightful. Uh, So yeah, we're back uh, recording with each other after like several months not having done so Mm -hmm. Worked through our backlog So uh, this is going to be easy breezy, beautiful Mm -hmm. cover girl history Alright, moving past it (laughs) Edit it out later Yeah, edit edit that out, edit out all that awkwardness Cool beans Uh, uh, So I'll, I'll get us started this week uh, so, Robert Fortune was a Scottish botanist, plant hunter, and traveler, best known for sealing tea plants from China on behalf of the British East India Company. He was born in uh, Edrum, Scotland, uh, and uh, he was born in Edrum, Scotland as a commoner, uh, and he learned a lot about uh, horticulture and gardening, but he wasn't able to become an, a botanist, uh, as it was known at the time, because he wasn't able to get an advanced degree. And that was in large part because he was not a lord. But he was good at what he did, um, and he was employed at the Royal Botanic Garden in Edinburgh, and later by the Horticultural Society of London's Garden in Chiswick. So this is just like Smithson, where he was a commoner who really liked botany and science and needed to decide how he was going to... how he was going to go from there. Yeah. What can I say? I, I like stories about gardeners. Uh, especially at crazy ambitious ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, Fortune uh, was known for his work with ornamentals and orchids in the uh, in the Royal Botanic Garden of Edinburgh, and the Royal Horticultural Society uh, decided to ask him to go to China on their behalf. Now, China had recently signed a pretty exploitative agreement with uh, England as a result of losing the Opium Wars um, that allowed, uh, for the first time, Englishmen to enter China and to trade with them for pretty good terms. But uh, what the Royal Horticultural Society was realizing was that there was all these cool plants in China that they wanted and that the Chinese wouldn't trade with them for. So what they needed was somebody expendable to go and steal plants for them. But that somebody had to know about plants. But all the people in the Royal Horticultural Society, oh, they were lords. They're not expendable. (laughs) It came down to one man. One man, Robert Fortune. So they contacted Robert. What a perfect adventurer name. Right? Uh, This sounds like just the heist movie. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of, yeah. This summer, your fortunes begin. (laughs) Who knows what fortune will be told this summer. In China, for three years. 
one man and the orchid he couldn't live without. <laughs> so, um, he was asked to go on a three-year, uh, three-year tour of China, basically, and to go to places where Englishmen still weren't allowed to go and steal plants while there. And they offered him a salary of a hundred pounds a year. Now, that sounds like nothing in today's money. And even in the money of the time, that was almost nothing. It wasn't enough, it was barely enough to keep a bachelor alive, much less to support the wife and children that Robert Fortune had <laughs> by this time. Uh, he, they didn't even give him a weapon to protect himself with, uh, arguing that, that it wasn't part of the usual kit. That was because most Royal Horticultural Society adventurers were gentlemen who could afford their own gun. <laughs> Um, so after a while, he pleaded with them once to, asking them to, um, increase his salary, and they said that the rewards of his mission should be reward enough without having, bringing in money. Filthy lucre. This is a little unpaid internship. Yeah. His, 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 his opportunity to advance himself. Yeah. Yeah. Like, exploitation is throughout the ages, peeps. <laughs> but they did eventually break down and buy him a gun. Uh... But not because they were worried about his life, but because they realized that if he died, they wouldn't get all their good, good plants. So, so his wait, life... Was, was he, he just warehousing them for, like, three years, or was he sending them back, like... So, um, he was putting them in what were called wardian cases, what we would call terrariums today, which are sealed glass uh, cases with, uh, with you know, they, that are self-contained and that, you know, the plant will recycle its water and air continuously... And some, yeah, he sent home. Others he took with him. Um, so about, about once a year, he sent a shipment home of plants. So, for his first trip to China, he went there for three years and traveled around disguised as a Chinese merchant. How did he disguise himself as a Chinese merchant, I hear you ask? Mm. That's easy. He shaved the, his forehead high in the manner of the people of China and bought a Chinese man's ponytail and had it sewn into his own hair. When uh, Now, China was large enough and diverse enough that there were a lot of dialects where people couldn't necessarily understand each other. And there were enough uh, ethnic groups that people looked fairly different across the whole of China. So his plan, when, to, when asked, wait, why do you look so weird? And why is, your, why is uh, your language so fucked up? Why can't I understand you? Was to smile and say, I'm from a distant province of China. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And it worked. <laughs> People believed, people believed him just because they were like, oh, well, he's got a cue, he's traveling around, he can speak some Mandarin. I guess uh, I guess he must be Chinese, otherwise, you know. Why would he be here? Why would he yeah. be here? I like that most of the stuff passed, that he didn't could, didn't know the language and looked really different, but the one thing he had to do was sew hair into his scalp. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than, like, shave himself bald, just be like, actually have the needle take into his head to... Uh... Well, it was it's like a hair extension today, and he actually did shave his forehead. So at the time... Uh, the average Chinese person had to shave their forehead high, so the, they'd shave their forelock up to, like, the middle of their scalp, um, and then they would grow the back of their hair long and braid it into a queue. And this was to show fealty to the, uh, the current uh, ruling class. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, oh, so that would have been something just recognized throughout the entire country. Yeah, everyone had to dress oh. that, that way and have that hairstyle uh, if you were a Chinese citizen. Uh, otherwise, you could be executed. Uh, that may be apoc- I, I may be getting the execution part wrong. Please uh, don't at me. <laughs> uh, no, otherwise, you know, it was a crime not to. I don't know if it's execution worthy. I don't want to. I don't want to go uh, sowing weird Orientalist myths here. 
Um, so, uh, on this first trip to China, he had some guides, and he went through all this, uh, all these areas of China, and he stole a bunch of um, a bunch of plants. He stole the double yellow tea rose. He stole the um, he stole peonies, azaleas, rhododendrons, chrysanthemums, and he stole a, a citrus plant that you might know, the kumquat. The little tiny oranges with the edible skin. They are called uh, Citronella fortunensis now. Fortune! <laughs> yeah. There are so many plants named after fortune in their like Latin taxonomy. Um, and the roses and orchids he stole, uh, the roses especially, the double yellow tea rose, is the ancestor of our modern yellow roses today. And most of the roses we even have that like that we use as ornamentals. We're crossbred with that. So on the way home, he caught a fever. He was laid up with fever in the belly of this sloop, like shaking with fever, pretty sure he was going to die because this was the 1800s. Um, and so uh, that was bad enough. But all of a sudden, the captain of his ship bursts into his room and shouts, Pirates. <laughs> and they had seen on the, on the horizon a pirate ship coming over towards them. Now, uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of background on pirate, Chinese pirates of the day. So the, the punishment for piracy at the time in China was, be, was for the least crime of piracy, for one count of piracy, for being like a cabin boy, was to be cut into 24 separate pieces. Yeah. The punishments got more severe from there. 48 pieces. Yeah, no, it literally went up, went 24, 36, 48, and then it like kept increasing by 12. And the maximum punishment was 126 pieces. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And this was kind of, well... Well, awful punishment, but kind of deserved, because pirates were known for doing such things as cutting people up and eating them, uh, for torturing people to send ransom notes and then just shooting them in the head. Uh, things like that. Um, but the reason there were so many pirates was because it was one of the few ways that was actually uh, able for people of the time to advance their social class uh, or do anything other than just the sort of thing they had um, they'd been born to do, that their family had always done. So China had a piracy problem. It sounds like lack of social mobility is causing a lot of people to do crazy things. It's almost as if when you keep the working class down, bad things happen. Hmm. No, that's preposterous. You're right. That's crazy talk. Um, well, they went on a crazy... I, no, you're right. You're right. Stealing plants is not good. No. At least that one's got some whimsy to it. Yeah, I mean... Like, Pirates were yeah. cannibals. He was actually so quick sidebar. Before he went on this first trip, he was giving a like a, a wish list from the Royal Horticultural Society of all the plants they wanted, like some of which they'd only heard of in like myth and legend, were including they fake? Like, some of super fake. Yeah, like there was the fabled giant peaches of the emperor's garden never existed, but they were like, you got to bring us back these head-sized amazing peaches. <laughs> I hear they're sweeter than anything we've ever tasted. Um. So, these pirates attack, uh, and, um, you know, at the time, uh, there are telescopes and things, uh, but pirates can't really afford a telescope. Fortune has one, luckily. Um, so what, what happens is the pirates come and they start firing on the ship, and uh, the people on the ship uh, go, down, go below decks, come back up dressed as beggars, hoping to, like, make the pirates, when they catch sight of them, think, oh, these are beggars... We don't need a ship full of beggars. We're not going to get anything out of robbing beggars. But the thing is, like, by the time they get close enough, a lot of them are going to have been killed. 
So Fortune has a kind of a bright idea. He still has a lot of brightly colored clothes in his trunk, and he gets the biggest, strongest crewmen to dress in his brightly colored clothes and, uh, like they're Europeans. And he has them pick up belaying pins and hold them like rifles. So the pirates will see these brightly colored figures holding these rifle-like objects and be like, oh shit, they've got a crew of marines to protect them. This isn't worth the trouble. So the pirates fire their cannons again on these on them before seeing them. And like one of the dudes who he's putting in his clothes just gets killed immediately. And all the others run below deck. So Fortune, like shaking with fever, takes his rifle and like crawls up towards the front of the bow and, and fires one shot. Because that's all you have at this point in, in gun history. Um, and kills a pirate. And the pirates look at that, look, look at his brightly colored clothes, and say, fuck it, this is too much trouble, and leave. <laughs> he was only one man. <laughs> <laughs> um, so on returning to England, he publishes his memoirs. It's called um, Three Years Wandering in the Northern Provinces of China a visit to the tea, silk, and cotton countries, with an account of the agriculture and horticulture of the Chinese, new plants, etc. Oh my god, what is with these long titles? <laughs> well, you have to understand, back in the day, books didn't have blurbs. You couldn't, like, pick one up and look at the back and see what it was about. That's true. So it's yeah. all there in the title. Real specific. Mm-hmm. So, uh, this book makes him semi-famous, uh, especially the account of his encounter with pirates. Uh, the East India Trading Company hears about Robert Fortune at this point. Um, and the East India Trading Company has, up to this point, traded opium with China for tea. Um, and due to the opium wars, they have forced China to keep buying opium from them. Um, and so, uh, the Chinese populace is addicted to opium. Will keep buying opium. They can't, the, the, you know, Chinese aristocracy can't stop that. So they've decided to start growing their own poppies. And the East India Trading Company hears about this and realizes that pretty soon the only trade good they have that China is willing to trade tea with them for, they're not going to want anymore soon. So they decide they're not going to just stop buying tea. It's a gold mine. It's what the majority of their wealth is built on. So they decide they need someone to steal it. And since they've already got a guy who's stolen plants from the Chinese already, they go to Robert Fortune. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert... Fortune. <laughs> oh, his name works so well. It's a lot of layers. A lot of layers to Robbie. Robbie. And this time he manages to bargain for 300 pounds a year. A huge oh. raise in pay. Uh, and he goes for another three-year journey. And uh, he, on this trip, uh, he goes to all the tea-producing countries. He... Um, goes to all these uh, tea factories and tea plantations, learns how tea is picked and made into black tea and green tea and white tea. And he finds out that a lot of the green tea that England has been buying has been being dyed artificially green by the Chinese because it fetches a slightly higher price if it's bright green. The thing is, the dyes at the time are poisonous. (laughs) So the Brits learn that they're being poisoned by their green tea and decide to make the switch to black. <laughs> and that's why, to this day, uh, Western countries prefer black tea and, East, and as opposed to the green tea that is preferred in, in China, where it's grown. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Um, Good old not being poisoned. <laughs> Fool me once. Not being poisoned. It's the hip new flavor everyone loves. <laughs> of course, you know, they're not dyed anymore or poisonous. <laughs> so, just want to get that out of the way. Stop you know. the beer. 
what did you call it? Uh, Oriental. Spreading Orientalist myths. Yeah, yeah. Orientalist myths. <laughs> yeah. Snip those right now. Right in the bud. So, fortunes in China again. Disguised again as a Chinese uh, merchant. The same guy? Uh, I don't know or if he like persona? uses the same alias. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. The, well, this guy. Where you been? I haven't seen you in Oh, I'm, I'm a years. different Chinese person from a distant province. <laughs> really? You look just like the other one. Oh, yeah, he's my brother. He's my brother. What, are you saying this. you can't tell us apart? He lives two provinces over. <laughs> um, That'd be kind of fun mm. to just layer like your whole family tree onto it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, you mean just pretend to be a whole a whole family but of yourself? Yeah, so it's the opposite of that story of the, what is it, the seven brothers who mm-hmm. get murdered in different ways? I, oh, what? <laughs> no, the, they stop themselves. They each have a unique yeah, ability they, that... Oh, the, uh, the, the sons of Anansi. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, the spider boys. But it's exactly the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas and, one person getting murdered a lot as seven different people. Yeah, that really makes sense. really ingratiate himself into society, he like joins a genealogical group. And it's just like, <laughs> yeah, look at my awesome family tree. And they're like... Oh wow! This is this goes far back. Like one of the in town. They're all in town right hey, now. Hey, you know your family tree goes so far back in this town. We know you're you're a good egg. Can you help us figure out who's been sneaking into the genealogical society at night and altering our books? Because somebody's been doing it. Why are there no women in your family? <laughs> Note to self: stuff kumquats down front of blouse and pretend to be mother. Um. So, uh, Robert Fortune travels to all these tea plantations with his, with a guide who speaks some English and with a, a porter, uh, who he, throughout his entire trip, never learns either of their names. Oh. Yeah. That's mean. He just refers to one of them as Cooley and one of them as Guide. Or at least in his book, he doesn't refer to them by their names. And his guide even, like, brings him to his family's house and has him stay with them and show them around the tea plantation they all work on, which is, like, endangering his whole family's lives. Because it is super illegal to take tea, tea plants out of China. Super, super illegal. How many pieces would he have been cut up into? That's a good question. Probably not as many as a pirate, but I, I, don't, I don't think it would have ended well. Yeah. Um, I think I'd, my limit would be two pieces. <laughs> Top and bottom. I think I would never risk a crime that punishment would cut me into any more pieces than just two. Well, which pieces? Wait, did the pirates get that pick? No. Oh, no, it was, um, for the 24 pieces, it was, first it was your shoulders, uh-huh. then your calves, then your biceps, then your forearms, then your fingers, uh, then your, then your feet, then your thighs, then your nipples, then your stomach, then, um, I think it was your arms are cut off and your whole legs are cut off, then your eye, uh, no, first your eyelids are cut off, so you have to watch the whole thing, then your lips, then your nose, and then, uh, then the, Second to last is your head, and then the last one, your heart is cut out. I'm sorry, Mrs. Pirate. You didn't make it. How fast can you bleed out to die? Because that seems preferable to being alive for the rest of that. You know, I'm not a doctor, but I have to say I hope fast. (laughs) Yeah. It was a pretty bad way to go. Yeah. Pretty bad. Um, I mean, you know... European punishments at the time were also pretty horrific. You could, there were still, well, actually, there were still like people being drawn and quartered at the time. You know, heads on bikes. Too. Yeah, it's all pretty bad. It's gross. Yeah, the world is 
still gross. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's go back to our adventure. Tea plants! Yay! <laughs> so, for the first year, um, so the East India Trading Company has set up a plantation in the Himalayas. East India Trading Company is called that because they pretty much have, have colonized India and fucked it up really bad. Um, so, they have decided to try growing tea in the Himalayas because there's, there's good mists there, there's not they're, they're the right uh, temperate range. And there's already some teas growing in India that, um, while, while drinkable, uh, aren't considered as good uh, by the British drink, tea-drinking public. So they've got, you know, they know they can grow it there. There's not enough poison in this. <laughs> so they have another Scotsman uh, managing the Himalaya plantation. But on the way to the Himalaya plantation is, um, oh, what's his fucking name? Well. Garibaldi. Yeah, let's call him Josh Garibaldi. <laughs> uh, so Josh Garibaldi is the is of the three gardeners involved in this. There's Fortune, there's Wright, who is another Scotsman who knows what he's doing, and there's Garibaldi. He is the kind of person who got his position through nepotism more than anything else, and he's also the kind of fussy little man who will write long, long letters telling people how they're doing things wrong that he doesn't understand and recommending better ways to do it. So when the first tea seedlings come to him uh, on the f- first step of the journey, he's like, these plants are in cases. They'll die. <laughs> and he breaks them open with a screwdriver and waters them and kills them. <laughs> and he start- has a plantation that he starts to like, have the, sec- the second stage, and he overwaters all the-, all the tea plants. He irrigates them with like, constant like, water because he thinks, oh, it's like rice patties. Everything from China is like a rice patty. Mm. And he writes a long, fussy letter saying, I received these plants and they were all trapped in cases and I had to break them open with a screwdriver to water them because otherwise they would have died before they reached their final destination. So the whole first year's gatherings of tea seedlings die. Um, So Robert Fortune uh, doesn't hear about this until the end of his second year in China. Um, So demoralizing. Yeah, he like, he almost gives up then and there. But he decides he's going to do something to make it so that even this fuckhead can't destroy his plants. First, he writes a very strongly worded letter to him saying, don't fucking break open these, <laughs> you idiot. You're killing my plants. And then, knowing this guy won't listen, he takes... So before, he just took seeds and grew them into seedlings and planted them. But this time, he takes seedlings and some um, mid-range bushes, like young bushes, and plants them in a thick, in thick multi-level layers of loam with other plants there to stabilize them. Of the thousand plants he sent back in the first year, ten lived. The thousand plants he sent back in the second year, over 700 of them made it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, Fortune's third year isn't about finding tea plants. It's about finding uh, tea tenders. Because you you can't just tell uh, European who've never grown tea before to grow tea for you. It's like a whole thing you study a long time to do. So he finds five tea tenders who are willing to leave China, which they're not allowed to do, and convinces them to leave their homeland and everything they've ever known to come work for the East India Trading Company. Mm. And they do. They get actually to be really close with Fortune, and he like gives, gives them tearful hugs as he sends them off, and they're split up into five different plantations, and they never see each other again. Or they wouldn't have if they hadn't gone on strike. <laughs> they decided, hey, this sucks. No one here speaks my language, no one respects me, and I miss my five friends who we all decided to leave this country together. So they all strike 
until they're put on the same plantation and allowed to, from there, work together and, and like, teach other people to, how to grow things. And that's, like, I think that's just a good side note. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, so Fortune returns home, writes another book, a journey to the tea countries of China, including Sung Lo and the Bohea Hills, with a short notice of the East India Company's tea plantations and the Himalaya Mountains. Hmm. Yeah. Sounds snappier. Yeah, much snappier. Um, and uh, pretty much retires on that. Uh, continues gardening, uh, sells his books, makes, makes his Robert fortune. Ooh. Yeah. And because of him, a lot of the modern uh, tea varieties we still enjoy today exist. Darjeeling, Ceylon... Uh, those both are descended directly from the um, crossbreeding of the Indian and Chinese tea plants that uh, that uh, he he brought. Hmm. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Any questions? <laughs> did you learn those five tea tenders' names? I did not. They were not in the book I read. <laughs> they were just known as the five tea tenders. I definitely misunderstood you at first, and I thought tea tenders might be, like, an adolescent version of a tea plant or something. <laughs> I also thought yeah. that as well. The or rebellious like a... young tea plant who smokes clove cigarettes. Like it's still tender, <laughs> but, like... Yeah. And the first blush of youth. <laughs> and it tastes like chicken tenders. <laughs> <laughs> so you gotta let it grow up to taste more like tea. <laughs> uh, uh, Just a hot cup of water with a chicken tender. <laughs> Just a soggy chicken tendo floating in there. Well, you no, take it out after three minutes. Jackie, that's not good. That's not good, Jackie. You don't knock it till you try it. Oh. I'm, on, I'm on day, what is it, fourth? Day, day five of your chicky tendo tea cleanse? No, I'm on day five of uh, vegetarianism. So, you know, I'm just thinking about chicken tender teas. Uh, is that like a lifestyle change or like a diet change? Um... Both? Right on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Your Congratulations. Diet, your diet's your lifestyle. Right? That's fair. That's fair. Oh, do you mean like not using like leather goods? Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. That? I haven't gotten that far. Okay. We'll see how this goes. Okay. Good luck. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, so the one thing that struck me during this was um, trying to figure out what what could Britain have replaced opium with that they maybe would have had a chance to sell. Well, that's the thing. Every other trade good they tried to trade with China, uh, China just said, we can make that better here. <laughs> like, clothes. China's like, we don't want your clothes. We make better clothes. Uh, furniture. We make better furniture. Silver. We have a huge, huge country with many silver mines. But do you have garden hermits? <laughs> <laughs> what are those? What? What's that? It's a, it's a sad man you pay to live in your garden. Yeah, we got that. <laughs> we can do it better. Um, dairy cows? Is that a thing in uh, China? Dairy is pretty much exclusively consumed by Indians and Europeans. Um, oh, lactose intolerance. Yeah, most it? of the rest of the country world is lactose intolerant. Okay. Yeah. Because it's the only thing I can think of that, uh, <laughs> that England might have. That oh, those sweet dairy cows. Dairy cows. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I mean, Britain at the time was a huge empire, and the East India Trading Company were real bastards and exploiting most of the globe. Uh, what but about tea biscuits? That, those were mostly produced locally. <laughs> I know, but then you could trade them to China and uh, say, have you ever thought about putting these things together? Uh, two great tastes that taste great together. Mm -hmm. I see, I see. Uh, I think 
if I give you half my biscuits and you give me half your tea, we we'll both have tea and biscuits. So I tried to find the actual uh, diary, the actual books that Robert Fortune read at my local library because I was interested in the subject, and mm. I couldn't. But I did find a book about his diaries called For All the Tea in China. Mm. Um, and that gives tell of um, some Chinese uh, tea-drinking traditions. They actually did have small uh, biscuits and things that they would eat with their tea. Um, and a whole tradition of uh, various snacks with it, and of drinking tea and composing poetry and things. Um, cool. Yeah. So alas, even uh, those sweet bickies could not get traded. Is not it really e- what they're called, bickies? That that is British slang for them. Yeah, bicky. That sounds terrible. Bickies? I wouldn't want to eat a bicky. No, it's uh, it's pretty gross. <laughs> like a they, cookie is much better. Oh, they say biscuits. Yeah, not cookies. Uh, a cookie is just. It's a subtype, I think, of biscuit. I'm not sure. Yeah, I have no idea. Uh, British listeners, please write in telling us uh, how badly we fucked that up. <laughs> I know we're one Wikipedia search away from knowing, but <laughs> if you can tell us. Uh, uh, That's the sad part of the world now. Cookies <laughs> versus biscuits. Everything you don't know is just because you're too lazy to look it up. It's pretty true. If you could rename yourself to have a portentous name, what would you, what would you pick? <laughs> um, I would uh, name myself Happy Never Die. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. How about you, Jack? Happy Never Die. If they catch you in this place, you're gonna die. <gasps> oh no! It was an ironic name. <laughs> oh. oh, and I'm so sad all the time. That'd be yeah. That would be weird. Just go by your family plot at the cemetery and just see a bunch of tombstones that say, Never, Never die. die. <laughs> it's like some sort of grotesque warning. <laughs> Never die. It's pretty bad. I guess I'd go with um, happy, die at the appropriate time. Okay. It's happy, die well. Oh, yeah. That sounds much more like a last name. <laughs> <laughs> uh. There's a lot of hyphens in that first last name, <laughs> <laughs> no. What would my portentous, portentous name? Portentous. Um, Mary die twice. That way, they know I'm coming back after the first time. And and Mary because it's a nice name. Yeah, yeah. It's cheerful. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, that was uh, the thing, like the finding out about that the green tea had been poisoned because like everyone like just sees how famous like the English black tea is, and mm. I never knew it was just. See, it wasn't like deliberately poisoned, but they just like they just dyed it because they're like, oh, they like it better when it's bright green. I guess we'll make it brighter green. Um, yeah, and then just didn't really think that much about the consequences of their actions. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if there were deaths from it. Or not. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know if there were deaths from it. Uh, I, I shouldn't have said, oh, yeah. <laughs> Spreading more like story. <laughs> oh, I, I know a lot of things, but I don't know if anyone ever died from drinking green tea. So my story today is called The Greek Island Project. Ooh, fancy. Um, and do you two want to just do like a quick guess of what you think? The Greek Island Project yeah. is? Mm-hmm. I think it's um, it's a bunch of senators and they wanted to get really tan. And they're like, where do we want to go? And they're like, oh, let's go to a Greek island. And they're like, how are we going to afford it? And they were like, oh, let's make like some congressional funds available for it. And we'll call it by a code name. And they're like, what? And they're like, I don't know, Greek island project? 
were like, yeah, let's do that. And they gave each other high fives and drank mimosas. Wrong. No? <laughs> I thought Max had it pretty well covered there. Oh, you're both wrong. Just word for word. <laughs> Wait, yeah, I'm going to propose Max's guess again. But I instead of, in, no, instead of senators, more like local statesmen. <laughs> They came across from all the like the all the city states around Greece. Ah, so, from Athens and Troy. Yeah, yeah. senators. That's more of like a Roman thing. So mm-hmm. that's my guess. It was all the city states. Um, so you're both wrong, but you're slightly right in that it does involve senators, but U.S. senators. I was right about the senators. Yep. Um, and, so in my in my conception, they were U.S. senators. That's true. Max was a lot more right than you. Were. Yeah. No. Get your shit together. You're both. Totally wrong. Um, (laughs) So the Greek Island Project was actually the code name for an atomic bomb bunker. Whoa. um, For atomic bombs to hide in? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was for um, members of Congress to evacuate to in case of an atomic bomb. (laughs) And it was built during the second Eisenhower administration, which I think was late 50s, early 60s maybe um (laughs) it was during the heyday of you know fear of atomic bombs during the cold war of when uh the industry of bunkers was booming Mm -hmm. um and it was located about a five-hour drive outside of washington dc in west virginia and you know there are a couple different (laughs) (laughs) sorry there's uh, the cat has just been uh, walking across both of our laps and has decided that our tiny podcast recording closet is a cat party zone. <laughs> well, she wouldn't be in here if you weren't petting her. That's true. Um, <clears throat> so this location was right in the Allegheny Mountains. Um, and it was in one of the most prestigious and fanciest resorts in the United States. <laughs> Called the Green Briar. Wow. <laughs> there's yeah, because there was something that like rung out about like oh, there's a place we need to evacuate the senators like in Washington, but it's five hours away during an atomic attack, and it's a resort. It sounds to me like this is an excuse to go have a great time in a beautiful place. Wait, was this even built while atomic bombs were a concern? Well, the hotel existed a long time beforehand, mm-hmm. and it was one of those places where diplomats and um, foreign ambassadors and dignitaries would go and like spend time at their resort. Okay. Um, so it was a place that was sort of known to the political set, um, and the the Greenbrier had a fair amount of history with the federal government um, during... In 1941 to 1942, Mm -hmm. it actually served as an internment camp for um, uh, for the foreign officials from Italy, Germany, and Japan. Oh, Um, so I mean, if you have to be kept somewhere in a resort, is probably the best place. Uh, Sure, I feel like that's making lemons out of lemonade. No, making lemonade out of lemons. That just makes sense. Some skills. If you can make lemons out of lemonade. It's a very involved process. <laughs> requires a lot of uh, requires a lot of lemonade just evaporation. Take a paper bag and put lemon juice in it and just write lemon. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Um, so the Greenbrier was actually owned by the CNO Railroad Company, mm-hmm. um, and then the government also took in 1942 is when they stopped interring their diplomats there. Um, cool. So I don't know. The article I read did not say what happened to them after that. Hopefully, they were just sent back to their home countries. Maybe. Anyway, um, so after that, it was used as a military hospital. Mm-hmm. So a military hospital deep beneath the earth. <laughs> that part's not there yet. Oh. Um, okay, I'm gonna keep pretending it is. <laughs> a resort deep within the earth's crust. So this hotel... Get your back rubbed by mole people. <laughs> <laughs> they have very nubbly, knotty hands from digging in the deep, deep earth. They can give you the deep tissue massage as they massage the deep tissues of our earth and making their tunnels. Also, they make a dynamite mimosa. Don't get scared if they refer to your skin as the crust. Those are just the terms they're used to. And if they say it's a mimosa, don't laugh. That's what they call it. (laughs) You'll hurt their mole feelings. So how right are we? I didn't re- so <laughs> didn't research the mole people part of the story. So they never actually needed to operationalize this bunker. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know what the service would have been like for the senators and Congress people who were there, mm-hmm. who would have been there. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, so they had a cover story for this bunker. Uh, the hotel said that they were building a conference facility. <laughs> so they they did make a conference room. But it had a three foot, what's the word I'm looking for? Three feet deep walls made of concrete mm-hmm. um, and a ton of reinforcing pillars mm-hmm. everywhere. Um, it also had a, a vault door that they special commissioned from a safe company. Um, and then this, this conference room was actually used as a conference room in the hotel, but they also built another floor underneath it. Um, where they put dormitories, uh, a whole medical facility, including an operating theater. Um, tennis, tennis. <laughs> 1,100 bunk beds. Okay, all bunk beds, because the centers like to have fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're short on space. Yeah. Um, so the whole size of the bunker altogether was about the size of your average Walmart. Okay. So it was pretty big. Um, and it had... Um, special rooms. It mm-hmm. had a room for the House of Representatives and had a room for the Senate. And then they had a room for um, a joint meeting. Okay. Also, um, the joint meeting room was actually the conference center that was actually used for conferences. Okay, okay. Um, so you might be saying, how did no one notice that they were digging a Walmart into the ground? Um, how did no one notice that they were digging a Walmart into the ground? Well, they used the dirt to build up obstacles in their golf course. <laughs> yeah, we gotta, we gotta make this golf harder. <laughs> Why is there, like, a 20-foot-high mound? Oh, that's sand trap. <laughs> Why is there a giant windmill on a regulation golf course? You gotta shoot around. <laughs> so this whole project was shrouded in secrecy, and no one was supposed to talk about it. But this is like a tiny town in West Virginia called White Sulphur Springs. And there's only about 2,800 people in the town. And almost everyone works for the resort. So it was just like this big open secret. Don't nobody, shh, nobody say they're making a big bunker up the hill. They'll, 
they'll garnish your tips. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. And what? A, don't don't mention those scab mole men, masseuses. Well, it sounds like why why is our airport airport now seven thousand feet long? Why is our runway so big, big enough for an entire jet in this tiny town? Why are trains coming at night to drop off lots of supplies? Uh, don't worry about it. Don't question too much about it. Why don't is, you want to be a patriot? Why is the hardware store always out of stuff? Because <laughs> they did. They bought most of the stuff local. And they rented out an old ice skating rink to like store sea rations before they could bring it into the bunker. Nothing to raise any eyebrows. You know, I was going to dig myself uh, you know, a big underground room today You know, for the weekend, you know. For, like, my weekend guests. I was going to make a whole project out of it, but I went down to the hardware store and they're all out of the heavy earth-moving equipment. <laughs> and then I tried to go to the other hardware store across town, but there was this giant runway in the way. And then I figured, hey, at least I can take my mind off of it by ice skating a bit. But you know what? I went there and it was just full of nails. <laughs> just, just nails everywhere. <laughs> uh, so then I went bowling, <laughs> but I was told that it was for senators only. <laughs> Um, so there was also this really mysterious crew of people called the Forsyth Company, who in their cover was that they were the the people who took care of the televisions for this resort. They were mm. the television technicians. But everyone's television is always broken. <laughs> yeah, right? So they had about, I think it was supposed to be eight to ten employees there for 30 years, whose job was to just take care of all the televisions at the resort. Um, and they were very suspicious, um, and they really just manned all the communication devices for the bunker, um, because the bunker was operational, or ready to be operational for 30 years, so they had to update all the communications as advances happened, you know, starting in the 60s, mm -hmm. 60s to the 90s was when, um, this bunker was in wait. Um. Delightful. <laughs> So one of the most delightful facts I saw was that um, everything was basically ready to go mm -hmm. at a moment's notice. So all of the bathrooms had soap in them. They were just it was just waiting. Mm. Everything was just waiting for people to get there. Now, was it bar soap or liquid soap? I believe it was bar soap. Oh, fancy for a bunker. It's less messy. I think that's an yeah. appropriate choice for sure. a bunker. Sure, sure. Oh, the bunker also had a. A cremation oven because once the die. bunker is sealed yeah yeah can't go burying people can't have corpses piling can't up. have any cookout <laughs> it also had a tv station with a um a series of backdrops of washington dc mm -hmm. in various time points of the year so they could so people when they were um you know, broadcasting out to whatever was left of the nation could pretend they were still in washington dc <laughs> but people would know Surely they would know it was from a bunker if atomic war broke out. I wonder if they had a background for, like, a totally war-devastated D.C. <laughs> oh, maybe. Fires in the background and be like, we're still here. <laughs> and you just see a slow molmosa just <laughs> slowly enter from off screen. Oh. Mm, that's good molmosa. And the dining room also had fake windows that looked out onto country scenes. So, so dioramas. Yep. Um, 
brutal. Basically. Um, and the other really suspicious thing that people noticed was that this new conference center sure had a ton of bathrooms. <laughs> and they were all men's rooms. Because... Uh. <laughs> uh, there weren't any women senators, I no guess. No women senators, and yeah. they're also not allowed to take their families or spouses with them. Man. Um, so, naturally... That would have been a gross bunker to live in. <laughs> yeah. Bit of a sausage fest in there. Yeah. You know, everybody's... No one's decorating. No one's doing their chores. No, it's no good. It's no good. Yeah, I wonder, because, like, I'm so... Like, you're... Everyone's used to seeing, like, you know, all the senators and congressmen, president, all dressed up in these, like, suits and ties and just being, like, very clean-shaven, like... Just give them, though, like, two days in that bunker. <laughs> like, just all guys, and just see how quickly it falls apart. <laughs> Why dress up? The only people who are going to see it are other senators. Yeah, you just see the uh, Eisenhower at the time. He just, like, gets in front of the camera. There's a beautiful background. He's just all unshaven and, like, just wearing a, like, yellow stained t-shirt. Just being like, morning, America. It's <laughs> <laughs> capital day. Things continue very bad. Anyway, I'm going to go drink some momosas. Um, and as you guys mentioned when I started talking about this, of your suspicion of why this would be five hours outside of Washington, D.C. Yeah. Um, so I don't have an answer to why, but it does answer why did this finally come to light. Mm-hmm. Because it was this big open secret, basically. And um, an investigative journalist named Ted Gupp heard about it. And he thought to himself, boy, this is real dumb, since atomic weapons can get here a lot faster than five hours or even one hour of flight. Um, So he thought, it's time to just expose this and force the government to come up with a better place to put put our, what is it, continuity government in Mm -hmm. if Mm -hmm. something happens. Um, So that was one of his motivations for doing this story. (laughs) Because it would take... An hour to get there. Yeah. And that doesn't even count wrangling all of these yeah, congressmen. Getting them up people. from their bedrooms, getting them to the airport. Yeah. yeah, and they're not always at the Capitol. Like, some mm. of them are Just a in their states. Bunch of government waste. But at least now that resort has a state-of-the-art atomic bunker. Mm-hmm. And if you go there, you can go on a bunker tour. Ooh, like in Fallout. <laughs> yep. Huh? That's the end of my story. Okay, okay. If you had to have a big project that the government would spend too much money on for bad reasons, what would it be? Oh, um... Microphone picked up that hiccup very well. I know. <laughs> I've never been more self-conscious about all my bodily noises. The noisiest thing so far has been you touching your hair. Oh, I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> can't Sounds help like it. a problem that could be solved with excessive government funding. Frictionless clothes. Frictionless hair shampoo. Your hair is so silky smooth. I want something that only benefits me, though. Mm. Uh. I would have a private reindeer breeding facility. <laughs> a. Reindeer meat is delicious. B. Reindeer are adorable. C. Santa would have to buy some reindeer from somewhere when his old ones die. They're magic. They don't die. Jackie. Yeah, they don't. Jackie, Santa's magic. His reindeer are just reindeer. They're enchanted. But they're not immortal. 
Come on, think about it. Think about how, how cost prohibitive it would be to have immortal reindeer. Why would that be cost prohibitive? I mean, just the get, getting them to be immortal alone. I don't think you know how much magic goes the Contract for. costs alone. No, far cheaper to have replaceable magical reindeer. Maybe have like a personal chef. For the reindeer? For myself. Because uh, the government pays for it. And I get a new one all the time. Because it costs more. Sure. That way, because you have to write up new contracts for each one, mm-hmm. and they all want a signing bonus. You get to try new cuisines all the time. Yeah, it would be cheaper if the government just got me one chef to keep forever. Well, that but... wouldn't do it. <laughs> now, with this level of graft, I could ride my reindeer to a chef, and then kidnap just the chef cook on... this up. <laughs> ride the reindeer, jump off it, just slit his throat, and then just like tell the chef, cook it. No, my chef only cooked for me. I mean, this would be a chef, not your chef. Oh. Look, if you burst in through a chef's window, slit a reindeer's throat... I'm sure I would eventually... And then tell him to cook it. He's gonna cook it. He's gonna cook it. Or I she. I think eventually... She is well known. It's like a Hippocratic oath for cooks. Mm-hmm. Eventually, all the chefs would work for me. And then well, none would of them would ever cook. What would have worked for you? If that was one chef at a time. Yeah, one chef at a time. Okay. So, so... At one point. Oh, okay. So, I'm saying at one point you won't have anyone else to slap a reindeer in front of. Wait, so are you saying how it's not quickly a, do you go through chefs? One a day. So you're not. So you're saying that instead of just a personal cook, you get one cook per day, and then that cook is forbidden from cooking for anyone else for the rest of their lives. So gradually, in our lifetime, we just start looking around and <laughs> noticing that there are no more cooks anywhere. Well, okay. Originally, my thought was that they just after they're my cook, they can't cook Max's reindeers. That's just like a clause in it, like an NDA. It's more only benefiting me if they never cook again. (laughs) Not even for themselves. They have to eat all cereal and hungry man dinners. Mm -hmm. Oh. Mm -hmm. Oh. Yeah, so that's how I would waste the government's money. Effective. In a way that only benefits me. You wouldn't have cool reindeer horn decorations everywhere. No. Wouldn't learn how to do scrimshaw. I could kill a whale for that. <laughs> One whale a day, and soon there'll be no whales in the ocean. Uh, a whale a day, every day. That's my secret. <laughs> what about you, Noel? Hmm. Flagrant abuse of government funds for my own personal benefit. Mm-hmm. Gotta say, Jackie tops out the slowly depriving everyone of a resource. It's like so needlessly. selfish. <laughs> I think I'd want uh, something re- like if if we're talking about impractical and really dumb, I would want an entire house as an aquarium and an aquarium car, <laughs> just so that when you're driving down the highway, you look next to you and you just see this aquarium of probably dead fish at the speeds I'd be going <laughs> driving by you. And just you, you look like you're swimming in Me there. You would like a clothespin on my nose, just. <laughs> Oh, so you're you're it's it it's water all the way through, not water sides, and then a compartment for the driver. Okay, okay. I'm also imagining um, one of those like prefab houses, but it's an aquarium yeah. house going yeah. down the street. Yeah, on a truck bed. It's just a big fish tank. Yeah. But there's furniture. And you and open stuff. the door, and all the water spills out. <laughs> oh, not again! There's no airlock. It's just it's a big tank, and there's a door in the side. And you open the door, and the water. Stops. Comes out in a big like, gotta order another one. 
one a day, and soon there will be no glass or water left in America. Uh, and I would just, I would keep all of my reindeer in your empty glass houses. Just watch them. Cool. That'd there. be like a new, weird <laughs> new Santa's village. They would so. not like it. No. <laughs> Santa's glass village of reindeer. Yep. Uh, they the probably rain- wouldn't like it. And the reindeer don't understand glass, so they're constantly just knocking on it with their hooves and horns. They'd be living in this constant hell where they'd wish they'd be dead, but there's no cooks to cook them up, so... <laughs> they- Oof. Yeah, that's the only way a reindeer can die honorably. It's just <laughs> it's, it's to be cooked into a delicious meal. <laughs> uh, Sad, truthful times we live in. So my story is uh, the Dreadnought hoax. That was uh, the mastermind behind that was a uh, 19th century, uh, well, 19th into 20th century prankster named Horace Devere Cole. Horace Devere Cole. Horace Devere Cole. So this guy was. Hey, man, known... I'm Horace Devere Cole. Oh my God, I'm Horace is here today. I come from the fifth dimension, so I have to leave if you make me say my name backwards. How do you say your name backwards? Oh, it's Loke Irad Ekoral. Damn! Poof! <laughs> Horace has left the studio. <laughs> hey guys, what what I miss? <laughs> guys, I want want to get a glass of water. Uh, I don't think you'd believe it, even if we told you. I always get that. Um. So, uh, yes, this uh, Horace uh, was known for pulling a number of elaborate um, uh, heists, pranks, pranks, not heists, pranks on Superman. His only, the only thing he apparently wanted was just laughs, laughs and delight at all the confusion he caused. This guy was rich. So yeah, he was a Mister Mixaplex for sure. I think he did. He had to have uh, some money. I don't think he was from a. I didn't see anything listed of him being from a particularly wealthy family, but he seemed to have some connections and some ideas. So among some of his pranks is that he uh, supposedly uh, had a party in which all the guests gradually discovered throughout the evening They've that been they eating were... people. Yes. <laughs> oh, I guess? And they didn't stop is the weird part. Well, they're like, well, I've come this far. Might as well finish eating the eating Fred. It's not mole people, but it's close enough. I can't believe it's not mole people. <laughs> <laughs> so what did they really discover? Uh, they discovered that they all had the word bottom in their uh, their uh, last names. So <laughs> <laughs> just like, why are you here? I don't know. Why are you here? I don't know. So they, uh, yeah, just apparently had to... Solve the riddle throughout the evening. Did people just accept dinner party invitations from total strangers? I mean, hey, you? hey free no, dinner. I don't think so. Mm. I get invited to a ton of Facebook events I don't go to. Well, maybe because you don't have bottom in your last name. You know, maybe in mm. the time when you actually had to get sent a printed invitation instead of just getting invited by electronic mail. Mm. You know, it was, it was more of a like, oh, oh I've got some mail. Oh, a dinner invitation will... I don't know anything going on this Friday because I have no social calendar. <laughs> if I, only I was connected to 5,000 people all the time. <laughs> um, 
another pranky poll that I had uh, heard about this one before is that he uh, there was a theater performance and he bought uh, tickets for seats in the theater, particular seats, and he gave them to bald people uh, to go into the show. And then when they were in the play and the lights came up and the gentlemen would take off their top hats, uh, there was a an expletive <laughs> spelled in their bald heads. <laughs> oh, this is delightful. I love how much money he spent for such a juvenile prank. Yeah. Uh, and actually, th- he, that he... would have been ruined if, like, a small group of bald people sat near one of these, uh, the, sat in like, the middle of this, like, who weren't unrelated, or if anyone changed seats. Like, a very precarious prank. Um, and then, uh, yes, apparently, actually, he was, uh, he was rich. He died in poverty. Because he spent all his money on pranks. All his money on pranks. <laughs> um, and then, apparently, he did this on his honeymoon. He dropped, uh, he had horse manure that he dropped into a city. The city was on an island that had no horses and could only be reached by boat. And so there was just horse manure that he put in the middle of the city on his honeymoon. Why would he take it with him? For the pranks and the laughs and the confusion of the town. You know, he, he I feel like he probably can't get an erection unless he's pranking someone. Mm. You know, and he needs to needs to consummate it for it to be legal. Yeah. Divorce was a thing. So Cole got his biggest directions, though, uh, by pretending to, (laughs) by that I mean pranks, just to clarify, because I don't know how that'll come out with the editing. I'm just going to have every word you say in this podcast be replaced with directions. Erection, erection. Welcome to Erection. (laughs) I'm Erection. Hey, no, who do you spend government funds on? Erections. <laughs> uh, hey, no, what would, what would your what would your cool action uh, prophetic name be? Erection, erection. <laughs> no, we uh, we got to kick you off the podcast. Erection. <laughs> so Cole pulled two pranks in his life that involved him dressing up as a. Uh, ambassadors or royalty from other countries so in college he dressed as the sultan of zanzibar to sneak into his college um with his friend adrian steven the brother of virginia wolf what What? wouldn't his name be adrian wolf no because uh virginia wolf was virginia steven before she got married that doesn't sound right (laughs) um so Coles uh, would do this prank again, uh, sneaking onto a Royal Navy ship called the HMS Dreadnought. And so what happened there is there was a commander on the HMS Dreadnought who had a cousin who was on another uh, ship called the HMS Hawk. And he decided it would be really funny to pull a prank on his cousin. And so he um, got the help of uh, Cole to pull this off. And so Cole decided to get a group of people together, including the Admiral's cousin and Virginia Woolf what? and um, Adrian Steven. And they dressed up. Uh, they used makeup to uh, darken their skin. And they like had a uh, theater shop help them with makeup and costumes. And they posed as the Obsidian Royal Family. <laughs> and they, um, the only stipulation was that they couldn't eat. Because it would smudge their makeup. But other than that, they should be good to go. So they snuck onto a ship in blackface. They 
did exactly that thing. Oofa doofa. Yeah, this guy was too rich. He made too much money. I'm, you know, I'm glad he died in poverty. I hope his last words were, heh <laughs> worth it. <laughs> so he dies of, like, not being able to afford food. As he looks at the beautiful sunset through the box he's living in in an alley. <laughs> See, so he stands, gets out of his box, puts on his barrel, and wades into the ocean. Floating because we're in a barrel. <laughs> we would. My final prank. <laughs> Starves to death in the ocean. So they. Uh, this is sad. Sad. <laughs> Worth it. So they they dressed up as uh, this royal family. They sent a telegram to the uh, to the admiral saying that this royal family was going to be visiting and they would like to you know be able to see the the naval ship. So. Um, apparently at this time, not a lot of ID checks or, you know, anything of the sort to not even, I don't think a single shred of document to to prove who they were or were not. It was just a day you could sneak onto a Navy ship. Oh, you want to come onto this, uh, incredibly expensive naval ship? You say you're royalty? Yeah, it checks out. (laughs) Hey, you're not going to sabotage, are you? No. All right, as long as you say no. So the Navy welcomed them, um, and they did not have uh, an obsidian, uh, sorry, obsidian flag, and so they just flew the Zanzibar flag to greet their foreign guests. No one checked. (laughs) I mean, this Uh, was the days before Gujal. There's no Gujal in the past. But could you imagine meeting a foreign dignitary and being like, Close enough flag. <laughs> they won't notice the difference. I mean... Just tell them the translation to English makes it look like this. <laughs> well, I mean, the, yeah, the checks out. The checks out. I like, doubt the pranksters even knew what the obsidian flag looked like. It feels like they did not do very much research. Mm-hmm. It, feels like yeah. a, it feels like a lot of effort went into this prank, but also, like, no research. So what happened? So they had... Um, uh, another one of their friends was the interpreter. So basically, it was uh, Cole, uh, Virginia Wolf, uh, the uh, brother, two of the admiral's cousins, the one from that uh, commanded the other ship. And so they dressed as this royal family. They had an interpreter, and so they just took a tour of the ship that they um, just spoke in gibberish and like broken like Latin or Greekish sounding words. So, and they would have the interpreter. Uh, you know, speak for them. Yeah. They had, they tried to give fake uh, military honors to some of the officers, which I would be pretty bummed about if, like, this royal family visit and get some, like, honorary title and then just find out later, have it stripped of me. Where, with this medal is just bottle caps and this hat's just horse manure. Wait a second. Wait a second. I don't feel honored at all. This is some kind of prank. Oh, I've been made a fool of. Um, so the commander just gave the whole tour. Nothing was revealed. They commander didn't recognize his own, like, his family members dressed up. Because uh, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Sorry. I just don't like this. <laughs> no, this is, this is a pretty mean prank. So then, um, yeah, Horace then contacted the press and sent a photo of them all, like, getting ready or getting dressed up. And then... The, uh, you know, the Royal Navy was kind of embarrassed by that whole 
situation and they tried to get Cole arrested, but they had not broken any laws. So impersonation of royal families and trespassing? No, they were invited. Like it's not like they you know, they were invited onto the ship. I mean under false pretenses, but apparently no law was broken. That's I good. do like the free tickets for the bald men, though. Yeah, that was... That's, you know, when you're bald, you don't get a lot of nice things. Yeah. Silly and harmless making a bunch of actors read the word fuck. <laughs> a big, bald fuck. <laughs> I mean, that's better than putting manure yeah. in the middle of town. So, uh, if you could pull a prank with unlimited money prank... <laughs> you know what? We've already covered this with our, with our last <laughs> one. Um... Here's the What If They Met song, then. What if they met? What if they met? They are never met. They're separated in time and by geography. So they would never have met. But what if they had? What if their times had crossed over? We'd see how they acted if they were friends. What if they met? What if they had met and interacted anachronistically? <laughs> Are you going to do the second verse? Or? Um, so, what if Robert Fortune had met Horace Devere Cole? I feel like he would have recruited him, like the adventure and the excitement of stealing, pranking through stealing would have excited him. But I feel like he would have blown it. And <laughs> he would have, like, yeah. tried to shake someone's hand with, like, a false hand. And it would have come off. And he'd be like, oh, no. And he'd be like, ah, gotcha. And guess what? I'm not Chinese. And ranked off his braid. And then they would have gotten, like, arrested. <laughs> I feel like he would have thrown the terrariums. Mm-hmm. So Garibaldi couldn't have ruined them. Mm-hmm. Horace would have ruined them. <laughs> I gotta find out that guy's actual name because it's not Garibaldi. Are you sure? I Josh am... Garibaldi is really ringing a bell for I'm me. I'm 100% sure. I'm pretty sure we've used Josh Garibaldi as a stand-in name before. <laughs> I don't think so. Mm. Pretty sure. I think I said Garibaldi because he's the guy who crossed the Alps and I mixed up the Alps and the Himalayas mm. when you said Himalayas. That would do it. That would do it. <laughs> and that's the etymology of Josh Garibaldi. I'll put a sh- I'll put a short correction at the very end. <laughs> Change it to Alps. Yeah, Change Alps. every Garibaldi that's to right, Alps. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So I said Josh Alps was the one who <laughs> did this. Um, yeah. Would have. So Horace definitely would have fucked things up. You think Robert Fortune would have like castigated him or like shot him with a rifle? <laughs> I need a gun. <laughs> it sounds to me like. Uh, Robbie Fortune was kind of lonely since he didn't even bother to learn the names of the two guys who were traveling with him. Mm-hmm. So I think he would have put up with a lot of garbage to have someone who speaks English be there with him. Mm. But I feel like they would have gotten caught if Horace was there. They probably would have been making some jokes in English and then someone would have come along and said, hey, wait a second, that's not Chinese. Wait a second. Wait, wait a second. You don't look all hot. crazy because you're from a distant province. You look all crazy because you're British. Is this guy even on your family tree? <laughs> Wait a second, you're the guy who's been breaking into our genealogical society and altering all of our books. Oh, I hate it when pranksters do that. Let's poison him. Let's poison him with green dye. And Horace would have been like, oh yes, my greatest prank ever. Myself dyed green. <laughs> I feel like all the plants named after fortune mm-hmm. are probably a lot prettier sounding than anything named after someone named Horace. Mm. 
Well, I mean, yeah, Horus would be for like weeds or anything that like kind of got like stuck along with the. Uh, well, you, you use the last name for the naming. If there's not named, they're not named. They're not named so Robertias. They're named Fortunellas. But Coellas. Co- koalas. <laughs> he discovered koalas. <laughs> Wait, what if koalas are just his last prank? Just tiny bears that eat a lot of eucalyptus leaves. <laughs> the Australia ambassadors are here. <laughs> So I saw a fun fact on the internet that koalas actually have, um, like, glands all over their chests, uh-huh. and that's why they always hug trees so they can mark them with their scents. Oh, koalas, you nasty. Yeah, right? Isn't that gross and uh-huh. way less cute? Let's call that horusing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's going to do it for us this week. Um, thanks so much for listening. Um, if you like this show, uh, please give us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It really helps us find new listeners, and we always love seeing them. You can also reach us on Twitter at Anac Podcast. That's at A-N-A-C Podcast. Or you can email us at itsanachronismo at gmail.com. Um, oh, also, this month, we're taking part in the uh, Two Pods a Day campaign. So if you go online and go to Two Pods a Day, you can find us and a bunch of other great podcasts uh, that you can check out and listen to. Um, yeah. Uh, definitely recommend. I think you'll have a fun time with it. Um, yeah. Anything else we need to plug or talk about today? No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, then we'll see you next time here on... Anachronismo! Anachronismo!